Coffee Time Wednesdays with uh, the Prairie Farm Podcast. Can't hit us with the jingle. Welcome back to the Prairie Farm Podcast, Coffee Time Wednesday, the best part of your week and possibly the worst of Kent's. And as we discussed earlier, I usually just black out for them. So, but it's actually at coffee time this week. I mean, we're recording this at like nine forty in the morning. Yeah, uh, that's that historically. I mean, that's when I think coffee time was happening. And it's crazy because this is when Kent starts his second pot of coffee for the morning. He starts on cup number seven. Right <laughs> I actually now. thought I actually thought I need some more coffee. Um, I was going to bring my coffee mug in this morning, but I'm like already down well past the halfway point on it. And I got to let that get me into the afternoon, you know. But hey, I want to tell yeah. you, if, uh, before we start this one, I, I just thought of this. this. is a good, like, true coffee time story. Okay. So so uh, when my grandpa, who uh, will be 87 next month, when he was a kid, like old enough, um, you know, probably around like 10, where you're like old enough to sort of help out, but not like be a huge help yet without you know, like just being in the way or being, you know, being dangerous to have you around. He would take um, offense to that. (laughs) He would, uh, he would, you know, so maybe, I don't know, maybe eight, eight to 10 years old, probably he would, his job while his dad and the neighbors, we've talked about how, you know, neighborly farming used to be, you know, how much you depended on your neighbors for like affording expensive equipment and stuff like that. But uh, during the harvest time of the year, um, you know, so they're doing, they're using horse-drawn equipment. They're, they, you know, they have maybe one or two tractors. And, uh, but very, very, you know, early mechanical uh, machinery. So, like, his dad, when, when my grandpa was born, his dad was probably still hand-picking corn. Um, wild and yeah and and so well they were handpicking when you were born right oh my goodness (laughs) you shut your mouth uh but uh so the neighbors would get together for harvest and it might have been when they were threshing wheat or something like that or, or not threshing when they were when they were harvesting wheat putting it in bundles to be threshed later I can't remember what exactly they were harvesting, but they had the neighbors over and like, you know, uncles and, and brothers-in-law, that kind of thing, you know? And uh, his job was to ride out for coffee time from the house down to the, into the field, wherever they were with a big, like, I think he would carry over his pony. He'd have like two big water jugs, you know, those, uh, uh, ceramic, uh, water jugs that you can see at like antique stores and stuff like Crocs. They call them like Crocs, I think. And uh, uh, he would ride out on his pony, and then everybody would drink out of that um, uh, same crock. You know, he'd just pass it down the line. And he said you never wanted to drink after one of his uncles because he was a uh, a big-time chewer. And uh, he would get, like, all kinds of, like, tobacco oh, backwash into man. the bottom of the into the, the bottom of teeth the all rotted out, so there's <laughs> nothing to keep stuff from going in. Oh. Oh. 
yeah so that was the that was like the og coffee time era you know that that was the worst coffee time story ever because if i'm drinking coffee now i'm grossed out (laughs) you just and everyone just turned this off they all just turned off our podcast yeah why is there coffee grounds in this why wait a minute (laughs) (laughs) this i heard about this this must be chew it's like you're the only one who's been drinking out of that gary it's like i i know it's chew yeah yeah speaking of chewing tobacco flavored water there for you dude i don't coffee i've been learning a lot about coffee with like opening a coffee shop and like single origin i like the idea of single origin because it's similar to our yellow tag or iowa ecotype prairie you know, it comes from this one plot, but you can't, coffees can't, coffee houses can't be like, oh, like all year round, we have the same single origin yeah. unless, yeah. unless your coffee house has the only contract with that farmer. Cause there's just not enough, yeah. you know what I mean? There's just not yeah. enough. They're going to sell it for a few weeks and then they're going to run out. So most coffee shops rotate their single origin every month. Sure. Very, very fascinating fascinating stuff i you know those like wine experts the psalm psalms or um what are they called i don't remember what they're called showing no it there's like a name for wine people and i'm i'm forgetting it um but they like the really like posh um can taste the wine and say where it's from they call those do they call those winos is that is that what they're no, <laughs> I'm, just I'm just kidding. Oh man, there's like a don't ever like go a, in public and say that. Is that is that a, is that a uh, there's a, another term like in the Bible? It's called like wine bibber or something like that. Wine bibber. I don't I think, remember that. Both those terms, Apparently, I believe, I translate to drunk, don't they? I don't know. I that sounds it sounds like a world you're more familiar with in the heavy <laughs> wine drinking. Speaking Man, of we're wine, just talking drinking. about vices today. Good grief! Yeah what what was your uh, uh, what was your hunting trip like? Oh man, it was everything I'd hoped for. Really, um, you know, we so my friend Caleb and I we went out to uh, Western Nebraska, and originally we were planning to hit the Sandhill Prairies, but we really wanted to hunt mule deer, and um, there definitely are mule deer in the Sandhills for sure, but after like talking with uh conservation officers out there they were like your chances of running into mule deer are just better the farther west you go and so oh, yeah we went all the way to the western <clears throat> one of the westernmost counties in the state and and uh there they call it the locals call it the hard prairie and so it's like where the sand sandhill prairie transitions into more like rocky prairie terrain Mm. so is it like a lot of little blue stem oh yeah short grass yep tons of little blue stem but here's one that i i thought you'd be really interested in nicholas because you deal with this species all the time for uh native uh lawn mixes um blue grama there was oh yeah blue grama was probably the most common species you would see it was just uh, everywhere, and uh, it's beautiful. Like, it, it really, it, it almost seems uh, sacrilege to say this, but it actually kind of looks more like a short woolly cup grass than it does a side uh, um, oats grama. Um, hmm. Like, just the, the heads on them just have that same shape as a woolly cup. The seeds, 
I think I think pretty much all the seeds were, uh, you know, dropped off. Like they didn't they didn't stay on the plants through the, you know, late fall. Yeah. And uh, so they were kind of just wispy looking, uh, short grass. But but yeah, very much so, predominantly short grass prairie. But there were some like, in some of the like lower draws and stuff, there was what I would say more mixed grass. Uh, prairie some taller grass in there um i think the common tall grass that i saw out there i think was just a shorter ecotype you know of uh indian grass i think um it just Mm. looked like almost like a miniature indian grass Um, yeah well you know like when indian grass doesn't get enough water it just takes it out on its height just is shorter yeah, yeah, and it was very arid out there. There's cactuses. Um, in fact, uh, just uh, yesterday after I got home from the trip, I was finally able to get Caitlin to pull a bunch of cactus spines out of my arm that were stuck in there that I couldn't get out. Yikes. And, and uh, there were, you know, all sorts of just, like, you could tell you were looking at a pristine, like, unbothered, prairie um they were grazed so there's big beef operations out there and uh these landowners own these huge expanses of the prairie but there's virtually zero terraforming like it's just they they turn the cows out for you know a few months and they're very very careful with rotating their grazing out there which i thought Mm. was I, I was I, even though technically it would probably fall under like you know the huge ag model because you're talking you know thousands and thousands of acres owned by single landowners it's just different out there because there's no one else to own it you know what i mean whereas yeah whereas here in Quarantine the reason Land, billy owns two thousand acres because every other person moved away and told his dad well and nobody and nobody and not even moved away no one ever moved there in the first place you know like Mm. it's just so sparsely populated and on top of that they're very careful in how they handle the prairie you know they they know exactly where their cows are going to be during the different times of the year uh to match you know their grazing needs for their herd you know so they'll they'll be like yep this is going to be a this is going to be a calf a calving area that we're going to save for, you know, early spring. And this is, this is going to be a summer grazing area. This is going to be a, you know, on and on. And, and so because of that, you really felt like you were looking at a landscape that was pure, you know, and as far as the eye could see, they did have some, they did have some, uh, corn in the bottoms, you know, like along, uh, river systems and stuff where the soil was a little bit more uh, nutrient dense and there, it seems kind of counterintuitive be like, why would you do that? That's where it's most erodible. Not really out there because uh, it flattens out so much along the rivers. Mm. Everything else yeah. is very steep hills, very, very uh, up and down um, terrain. And, uh, and so they were farming the least erodible acres just to raise some extra feed, you know, for the, the winter months. Um, but I mean, you're talking, you know, a minuscule amount of that compared to 
what we do uh, here across much of the Midwest. So it was it was really interesting to see that they had a lot of alfalfa too mixed in there. Um, probably more alfalfa fields than corn fields. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't see any soybeans. Uh, that that doesn't mean they weren't there, but I just didn't see any. Um, but those are really the the two the two crops that I saw, and um, uh, just you know seeing all these cows. I actually uh, brought home uh, some some uh, Christmas gifts for you and and uh, Carol. Um, wow! From uh, some one of the beef producers down there, I bought some steaks off of him, and. Uh, like, nice. I'm excited for you guys to try that and let me know how it is. I, I saved one for myself too, of course. I wonder but, uh, how it's going to compete with uh, fairway meat. Yeah i I think uh, I think it will be uh, pretty tasty. Um, yeah, these are Those, and just also like these cows have a great life out there. You know what I mean? Like they just get to wander yeah. thousands and thousands of acres, and you would not believe where you find uh, cow pies. You know, it's like you would think, why on earth would a cow come all the way up onto this plateau that's hundreds of feet of elevation at a really steep angle to get up and down? But they, you know, they just could wander wherever they wanted to. And, and uh, you know, was, you just tell it was like, like I, I, I was very impressed with uh, the ag scene out there and, and just met uh, multiple um, uh I guess you'd say cattlemen or herdsmen and uh, just great talking with them. Very passionate about what they do. And you want to talk about some hard working folks. Um, Caleb and I, we got back from our first day of hunting and we were talking with uh, the ranch owner. And this was probably like seven thirty at night when we were talking to him, you know, we're like winding down for the night, getting ready to make dinner and like go to bed. And we talked to him for like, I don't know, half hour, 40 minutes. Then he goes, well, I better let you guys go. I got a load of uh, calves coming in tonight that I, I need to unload. <laughs> You're talking, he's like, this is like 8.30 at night, and he's still unloading a semi-load of calves. And That's wild. And then he was up by, you know, he was back working by 7 a.m. the next morning. You know, wow. that, that was, he said he worked 16-hour days. Um you know, just, uh, to make this thing go, but something that he mentioned and something that the other ranch manager, uh, mentioned at a different ranch was, you know, we've, we've talked about this complaint that a lot of times, and, and I mean, I know this is going to ruffle some feathers, but normally when I hear this complaint, I view it more as an excuse than a uh, reasonable complaint. I think there's some truth to it. But out there, there definitely is truth to this. And that complaint is none of the younger generation wants to get into farming. So that's why we all have to sell off our farms and it gets, you know, it, it gets to be a smaller and smaller number of people that own farmland and farms and stuff like that, right? Yeah. I don't think that's as true here. I think uh, a lot of... A lot of times, well, farming's uh, easier here. It, yes, yeah, yes, definitely. Um, and and uh, it's oftentimes more of a I don't want to give up control kind of thing. But out there, it very much is because because it's so remote. I mean, 
if you commit to living out there, you have to be very comfortable. Like you got to be an introvert in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? You got to be comfortable being alone. Yeah. It sounds Um, like hell. (laughs) Yeah. Nick, you could not survive there. Uh, you know, just now the, that being said, the, the ranch owners and managers out there, they're pretty tight knit. Like they know each other. Well, they're good friends and they depend on each other for stuff which is really cool. But it is, I mean, like you're far, far from like a big urban area, you know, you're, you're talking minimum 45 minute drive just to get to a, a town or a city, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, uh, and that's not like, sometimes you get, you come to places like that, like out in the mountain West, you know, like, like, uh, or as like Nick Nick likes to reference them as the Western mountains, uh, the Rocky mountains or something. (laughs) But, that's also because it's not so much that the towns are so far away, but because you have like 45 minutes of mountain switchbacks, you have to drive down, you know, to, to get, to, to get off the mountain down into the Valley where the towns are. But, um, here it's just, no, it's, it's a 45 minute as you know, straight line drive to the, to the first sign of civilization, you know, it's, Mm. it's like that. So, that's uh, so crazy. It, it was it was an interesting thing, and the, and the guy that we where we camped at, we, he allowed us to camp on his ranch. Um, he they said they were like, he, "Whoa, people want to come out here." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, anything well, they want. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They they were very generous, but he said that's his concern. He's like, you know, he's I think he said it as I've built this monster now. I don't know what to do with it because he's approaching retirement age, and. Um, none of his kids are interested in taking over the operation. And, and, uh, I think he's the, I think he's like the third or fourth generation rancher on that same ranch. And so, yeah, um, it's, it's a, it's a real concern for them out there, but just as far as seeing the prairie goes, as far as, uh, you know, see what the prairie's like and, and experiencing the ag scene there. And of course, as everyone knows, I love to hunt. We both came home with mule deer, which was just awesome. Um, and, uh, just being able to, uh, I've said it, you know, I think I said this on the sharing the land podcast, not all hunters are conservationists. I don't believe, but I do believe that most of the best conservationists if not all of the, the best conservationists um, are hunters because they see the landscape in a very intimate way, you know, and uh, that, you know, that's how I got cactus spines in my arm. I was literally crawling on my stomach through the prairie, you know, trying to put a stock on these mule deer and, Hmm. and seeing, seeing uh, the prairie, like just so personally like that, in a different type of prairie it just really fired me up and uh, makes me so thankful for what I get to do every day, you know, and makes me so appreciative of guys like Carol, who've had the vision to set this up to and, and who's been willing to allow you and me to, you know, make our mark through his, through his business, you know, at Hoxie. So I think yeah. it's uh, you know, it was just a, it was a great trip. So that is All right, super we need, cool. We need to get on to yours. I talked too long. No, That's no, usually. no. It's t- it's too late for mine because I've got No, it's not. It's not too late. You joined from Ohio for a reason. You were excited <laughs> about your topic. Let's hear no, it. No, I do I do have an exciting one, but I don't want to move on from yours too quickly, which might put it which might put us over. Because 
Um, what I'm really interested in is, uh, like, it's interesting that everyone, uh, you were talking about how, like, yeah, it's a tight-knit group, you know, they're far away from everything else. Uh, that's how everything was. Like, yeah. when when you hear accounts of, like, oh, going to the big old city, that was a really big deal or going into town took all day yeah it was a very you had to prepare to go into town and now you know max you're what 30 minutes in iowa you're 30 minutes from any sizable town with a walmart and oh I, yeah you know 30 minutes yep. might be a stretch in most cases so um and and then you've got des moines which has everything which you know or iowa city um or sioux sioux center area which has a lot um up in northwestern iowa so you've got all these places where you can experience the big city without actually having to be in New York or LA or London or something like that. But it's crazy that like most of humanity has lived in that way. And like a lot of isolation, uh, less people, less to do, less stimulation. Uh, just like, like we say mundane, like it's a bad thing, but just like the mundane that allows you to connect with your surroundings. I think, we get so much stimulation, we can't connect to any one thing because it only lasts in our life for two seconds. You yeah, know? that's a good point. Yeah, that's a really and good I, point. I think that is, uh, I think that is, you know, kind of a big deal. I am curious. Tell us about your your mule deer. I, I want to I want to hear how it went down. Yeah, so you know, out there, there's there's literally, except for down in the the river bottoms, and a lot of those are even they were perp- they were intentionally planted there's zero trees you know so it's not like you're hunting in a tree stand it's not like you're you're even able to like creep behind trees in most cases to like yeah. uh, get an opportunity and, and we is were- mule deer are their um are their attitude and tendency similar to whitetail are they as do they flee as quickly or what what's yeah, their that's, uh, a, that's actually demeanor. a really good question they they are a little bit different so mule deer if you know when they reach full maturity they will outsize whitetails um uh physically you know like be a little bit bigger bodied and so forth and they got those big old ears yes they have giant ears they look like rabbits (laughs) they do and uh but they are not as aggressive as whitetails so whitetails will push them around and they'll kind of they they do mingle so like the whitetail or the mule deer that i shot she was a doe hanging out with a whitetail doe and a whitetail fawn and it was this mule deer and another mule deer that was hanging out with them so they'll they'll do some mingling like that in fact we even saw like a hybrid buck out there that was you know half mule deer half whitetail that was pretty cool to see um but uh uh they, for the most part, the mule deer keep to the hills and the whitetails keep down in the river bottom, you know, uh, habitat. And uh, mule deer are infamous for bounding off and then stopping and looking. And so, like, if you're hunting with a rifle, sometimes you can get a shot if they stop soon enough after spooking. And a lot of times whitetails don't do that. A lot of times whitetails will just... They're gone. You know what I mean? They, they run and run and run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, sometimes, though, whitetails will do that, too. Um, okay, so but how did you get yours? So, uh, yep, we had to, uh, uh, Caleb and I, we had to 
uh, first find the deer, which is hard, very hard out there. It's a lot harder to find deer out there than it is in, uh, you know, the corn belt here where we have all these, tim- you know, we, now this sounds crazy, but comparatively speaking, a lot more timber in Iowa and Illinois, Indiana, you know, than there is in Nebraska. And so there's so a lot mule more deer like timber as well. No, not necessarily, but the idea is like, like as far as just being a good population, like, uh, you know, all animals need some cover, right? And so even though we just have whitetails and they have whitetails and mule deer out there, the number of deer in Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, you know, very much ag land states, but, but, uh, just way more deer, Kansas, same deal than what they have there, both combined. And the, the landscape is much more expansive too. So it's like you're looking for fuel, fewer animals in a bigger area, you know? So it's, it's very challenging to, to, to identify them or to find them, you know, but as soon as we found some, uh, I'd, uh, we had to creep up this, uh, giant, uh, you know, bluff basically, and then kind of belly crawl over the top of it so that we wouldn't crest the ridge and they'd spot us and spook off. And uh, so kind of like army crawling across this ridge with a muzzle loader. And then, uh, uh, so Caleb actually found the deer, told me about it. Um, I was, you know, looking with my binoculars on the other side of this bluff and he was looking on on a different side than me and he hiked over to me and told me hey we got mule deer over here and so uh we went over and uh crawled up onto the ridge made sure that they couldn't see us very well but you know they're gonna have to be able to you're gonna have to be in position to get a shot so there there's a chance they can see you you know and so we had to make sure that our wind was in the right direction so we weren't spooking them with our scent which we smelled really bad by this point in the trip there's no bath or anything you know shower place or anything yeah um, and ken was out there for three straight weeks so <laughs> not you can that imagine. long but but yeah this was you know day four without a shower or something like that and uh uh, so we had to make sure we had the right wind direction so we didn't spook him that way. And then Caleb got his range finder, and he already had tagged his mule deer. So uh, he was just helping me at this point. And uh, he gave me a range uh, to aim for and took me two shots, but I ended up killing a nice little uh, mule deer doe. And uh, Nice. Um, it was How far you know, was it? Uh, <clears throat> the first shot that didn't that wasn't lethal uh was 125 i hit her um, wow and then uh my follow-up shot was 107 she actually kind of they didn't see us we did a good enough job staying flat up there on that ridge and which by the way loading a muzzle loader from your stomach not easy <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh uh yep so they actually moved in a little closer after the first shot and then i i uh, got her with the second shot so a fatal hit on her but but it was uh it was you know just a dream hunt situation and we actually both ended up we, we both really love finding sheds and uh uh caleb found a nice muley shed antler and then i found this little tiny like we call it the ancestor shed it's like uh when uh mule deer must have first started showing up on the landscape shed <laughs> this thing was so old and uh, crusty <laughs> 
and, but I did find a mule deer shed first I've ever found, which was really cool. And, That's uh, cool. And uh, yep, we were we had a big celebration up on top of this big prairie plateau, and uh, we had to butcher the deer before we were allowed to bring them back for CWD concerns. Uh, so we butchered both deer out in the field. And are uh, you, um, uh, are you allowed to buy or sell sheds? Is that legal? Yeah, that's legal. Yep. We, okay. uh, we, don't, we don't do either though. We just like finding them, you know, yeah, yeah, decorations yeah. and stuff. So but, you butchered you know, sh- it out there. Did you feel like a freaking hero <laughs> when you're just butchering that thing and you're like, man. Oh yeah. I- yep. That was it, Caleb who, who is a 10 time all American collegiate runner. Um, yeah. Distance runner. So cross country every year he was a all American, but then also all of his distance events for track and field in the spring and he's a collegiate distance runner coach now um he said it was the most challenging thing he's ever done was pack that meat out well was this hunt you know like we hiked we backpacked up and down those coolies and bluffs and and ridges and everything and 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 hills 22 miles before we killed deer and that's uh, crazy and uh just worked our tails off for it and and you know people might think well you got does and not bucks and it's like this ranch that we got permission on that was the rule we could we could hunt mule deer does we can hunt whitetail bucks and does but we could not hunt mule deer bucks and so actually when caleb killed his doe um it was being followed by two mule deer bucks that we could have pretty easily killed. So we had mm. a pass on these two nice mule deer bucks. Um, uh, just, uh, you know, but we we're still, I'm not complaining there, you know, it was super generous to let us come out there on their land and, and yeah. hunt. And, yeah. and, uh, we both ended up tagging does and those were the first mule deer we ever got. We've both gotten, you know, quite a few white tails in the past. And so it was fun to, you know, when in Rome, get a taste of rome you know yeah yeah that's really cool man wow well yeah that's fun i am excited about my topic but it is not it is not timely you know it's something uh that i think really hits the heart of what we do here but we're we're 30 minutes yeah i know we haven't even told them we haven't even told them that uh it's presented by hoxie native seeds and now is the time to plant prairie Yes. Although it did, it is getting like sixty degrees, which is scary. No, um, yeah. But uh, um, even in northern South Dakota, I was talking to a guy from up there, and he's like, "Yeah, we're supposed to have like record highs this week for December," and I'm like, "That's not good," you know. And they rezoned yeah. everything, and those rezonings show, you know, glo- global warming patterns, or at the very least, global fluctuation patterns. You know, maybe yeah. we're in a large. Um, fluctuation of getting warmer. Um, but I, uh, yeah, now is the time to plant prairie. You can get that hoxynativeseeds.com or the prairiefarm.com. And uh, we're really, really grateful for all of you guys that listen. You for are sure. the reason we do this. So, all Absolutely. right. Well, we'll see you guys next time.